Good morning. How you guys doing? There's a lot, a lot of chatter for being so hot in here. So I think, uh, I think Jake either has some kind of premonition, or I guess in the church world we might call it like a prophetic gifting or something, because he must have known that today that air was going to be out. He didn't want to preach, and so I guess I drew the short straw and, uh, and got the, the hot Sunday. So, and like I was... You know, I was getting up here, and I was like, man, like, I usually wear shorts. I was like, I want to impress them today. Like, I want to wear, like, proper attire, and I wear jeans, and I lead the setup team. So I've been here for, like, an hour and a half in jeans, and so I'm not comfortable. I'm just going to say that. So, but thank you guys for showing up. Um, at least a few of us can en- endure the heat together, and uh, thankful or good for you guys. I'm actually going to cut my talk short today, um, considering I went 50 minutes last time, get real excited. So, so I'm going to be way shorter today. And so it should be a good time. I'm excited. We're uh, continuing our series um, called What Makes You Happy. And last week, Jake talked about happiness being uh, more about a who than a what. And, um, but let's be honest. I mean, for most of us, I think we look for happiness in pleasures or possessions or success. Um, but what we find is that happiness actually comes with being with those who love us deeply. You don't have to go very far to figure this out. In fact, you can ask a newly married couple or a parent who's just had a baby or maybe a military spouse who's been separated uh, from their spouse for a long time. And when they come back together, there's just such an excitement and a joy. In fact, you don't even have to ask those people because it's so evident because it's written all over their faces that happiness comes from those who love us deeply. And for us, what we're going to look at today is that ultimate happiness actually comes from God and us being loved by God and a God who loves us deeply. So I'm excited for today. Um, I think um, that this is going to be something that's encouraging for you guys, encouraging for me. It's encouraging to prep it. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get started. God, thank you for today. Thank you uh, that you have given us air condition, even though it's not here today. God, days like today remind us that it's good, and, it's, and we thank you for it. God, I pray that you would be with us, God, that you would focus our minds. God, help me to be brief, um, but meaningful, and I uh, pray that you would be with us, and most importantly, that you would speak to the hearts of um, those that are here. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. So why is happiness found in those that love us deeply? I think we all can resonate with that statement, that happiness is found in being with those who love us deeply. But why is it that way? Why is it just beyond our experience? Why is it that way? And what I found is that um, we have not only experienced this to be true, but like scientifically as they kind of study this idea of joy, they've actually found that joy comes from being with those Um, that we know that love to be with us and that love us well. And so, in fact, it's not only true scientifically, I'm actually learning about this uh, with my own daughter, my five-month-old daughter, Avery. And so my daughter is is a great sleeper. She's five months old. She sleeps through the night. Some of you guys hate me because of that, and that's okay. Like, I'm happy about that she's sleeping through the night. Uh, but I, because of that, I typically get up before her in the morning, and she's sleeping in our room because my wife and I live in a two-bedroom apartment with three kids. So um, if my first statement made you jealous, my second one doesn't. So 
Um, but my, my five-month-old daughter is in our room with us, and so every morning when I get up in the morning, like, I try to, like, kind of creep around and not wake her up, um, but I'm, like, kind of clumsy, so at least, like, one out of five times, this method does not work, and I inevitably, like, wake her up, and as soon as Avery wakes up, she does one of these. She looks uh, startled and around the room, like, she doesn't know what's going on, and then she sees me, and I, I, I freeze because I'm, like, just go back to sleep because I don't want my wife to be mad at me because I woke up the baby when she's sleeping. Um, And so, but she inevitably looks around the room, sees me, locks eyes, spits out her passy, and just gets this huge smile on her face. And my heart, like, as it should, immediately melts. And I'm like, wow. And there's this connection, this bond that happens, and there's joy, there's happiness in that room. And they've kind of studied this phenomena over the last 20 years. There's a guy named Alan Shore that's kind of led this study. And what they found is that this is actually crucial in the baby's development. And the baby, the one emotion that they pursue from the time that they're born is this idea of joy. And scientifically, what they've discovered is that eight weeks old, a baby can begin to see things, right, and visualize. And as they're able to visualize, one of the things that they learn how to do is to lock eyes, One of the huge components for a baby in their emotional and social development is learning how to have an intense mutual gaze with their parent. In fact, Alan Shore says this. He says, in particular, the mother's emotionally expressive face is by far the most potent visual stimulus in the infant's environment. And then child's intense interest in her face, especially in her eyes, leads him or her to track it in space to engage in periods of intense mutual gaze. And what they've discovered is that when this gaze happens with a baby, the endorphin levels actually rise in their brain. And it brings great uh, feelings of pleasure and joy and excitement to the baby. What they've discovered is that the key to this is that it's mutual. That it's not only the mother looking at the daughter or the son, but it's the reciprocation of the baby locking eyes and looking back at the mother. They call this a sort of love loop, if you will. And Alan Shore goes on and he says this about this love loop and this reciprocation of love and and mutual gaze. He says, in essence, we are talking less about what the mother is doing to the baby and more about how the baby is being with, sorry, the mother is being with the baby and how the baby is learning to be with the mother. And why is this true? Because happiness is found in being with those who love us deeply. In fact, Alan Shore actually defines joy this way. He says, joy is the emotion we feel when someone is glad to be with us. Why is this true? Not only is it experientially true or scientifically true, but it's true because God created us this way. Because he is a God that loves us deeply and longs to be with us. And for us, he wants to experience an amazing amount of joy when we are with him. So here's the question. How do we actually find happiness in being with God? Because for most of us, if we're honest, our relationship with God doesn't bring a lot of happiness. For most of us, if we're honest... Our relationship with God is filled much more with emotions like guilt or shame or sadness 
But if I was to say that you would find happiness with God, for most of us, that's just simply not what we experience. And before I go on any further, I want to I say this. Like, I, this isn't, a, this a conversation about happiness isn't a simple conversation. In fact, my, I live um, with my brother for most of my life. But my brother, for most of his life, for 17 years, has actually struggled with major depression. In fact, for three to six months out of the year, he just, he's in comatose. He cannot have a conversation with you because he is so inside of his head. And he's on different medications. He has some chemical imbalances that just, happiness is just different for him. So I don't want to oversimplify this conversation to say, hey, like, if you just get a few of these things, like, here's one plus one equals two and you're happy. Because I get that that's just not what we experience. Um, and if what I say today sounds like that, then I'd love to talk to you after. Um, but I know, I know what that's like. I know what it's like for somebody to, to wrestle with just deep sadness and not be able to get happy. But I do think there are a few things, and one thing in particular that we're going to talk about today that can lead us to joy, even in the midst, in the midst of intense pain and sadness. And that one thing for us is, is found in John 15. And so Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. He is, uh, it's John 15, and we're going to read 9 through 11. And a little background, a little context. Jesus is actually speaking to his disciples. This is called, what's called the upper room discourse. It's John 14 through 17. He is, they've just had the last supper. This is where we get communion from. Um, and now he's basically giving his last words on his last night with his disciples. And we're going to step into the middle of this conversation and see what Jesus has to say about this. So in verse 9 of chapter 15, he says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And he's speaking to his disciples here. So as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And as Jake talked about last week, this word joy, joy, happiness, and the scriptures is really kind of synonymous terms. So I'm going to use these interchangeably today. But a few observations here. The word love. And in verses 9 and 10 is used five times. The word remain is used with, in conjunction with the word love three of those times. And then the last verse, 11, is all about joy. And it seems like what he's saying is like the purpose, it seems like what he's saying is like remaining in my love, and my love is vital to our experience of joy. And in fact, the purpose of you remaining in my love or experiencing love is so that my joy or happiness may be in you, and your joy or happiness may be complete. And so Jesus seems to be saying that there's a connection between my love and your experience of that and your happiness. And so how do we find happiness in being with God? I think the first thing and the only thing that I'm really going to talk about today is understanding how crazy God is about you and just how much he loves you. This word love here in verse 9, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This, this word love actually means, it can mean three different things. It can mean to prefer, to take pleasure in, or to long for. And let's be honest, this word love, like we really don't, in the English language, the word love can mean a lot of different things, right? Like I can say I love my wife and I love tacos in the same phrase, in the same you know, phrase, and yet that can mean two different things, right? Unless, of course, unless it's my wife, because my wife, like, has a shirt that says, like, it's Taco Tuesday somewhere. Like, she loves tacos, so, like, if she, like, says she loves tacos, and she says she loves me, that's probably, like, the same thing, which is nice. <laughs> but we don't have this differentiation. But in Aramaic and in, in Greek, like, there is a separation in what these words mean. And here, we get to see what this word love actually means. So when Jesus says this, he essentially says, As the Father has preferred me, so have I preferred you. The idea of preference is this idea of choice, right? That I want to be with you. Or, as the Father has taken pleasure in me, his Son, so have I taken pleasure in you. Or, as the Father longs for me, so have I longed for you. Let that sink in. That when God, when Jesus says that he loves you, he means these things. So when Jesus says, I prefer you, what he's saying is, you're not a mistake. It wasn't, you're not an accident. You weren't plan B. I don't begrudgingly spend time with you. No, I prefer you. I want to spend time with you. When Jesus says, like, I take pleasure in you, what he's saying is, I don't think you're boring. I don't think you're uninteresting. I don't think you're a killjoy. I don't think when you walk in the room, like, just the energy level gets zapped. Like, no, like, I want to spend time with you. I take pleasure in being with you. I delight in you. When God says, when Jesus says, I long for you, what he's saying is like, I long to be with you. In fact, I long to be with you so much, I was willing to lay down my life to make that a, a reality. In fact, in Acts 17, Paul has this monologue that he essentially goes on in this place called the Oropagus. And he says this, he says, that God has set the exact time and places that we should live, that we would come to know him. That's Josh's paraphrase, but that's essentially what he says. And so, meaning, if you're in this room, God has set the exact time and place. So he puts you in Austin in 2018, on July 22nd, and he puts you in this room, in this time for you to know that he loves you, that he prefers you, that he takes pleasure in you, that he longs 
to be with you. And for us, if we understand this, if we get this, that God loves us, that God wants to spend time with us, then how can that do anything but create joy within us? And so I think, I, I honestly think I was talking to a buddy of mine, Brad Laws, who many of you guys know. We were hanging out the other day. Our kids were hanging at the pool and we were talking. And as Brad and I do, we get passionate about things and we just basically talk at each other instead of like talking to each other. And so we're like yelling at each other, basically like, man, you just can't believe God's love. And, and what, we were, what we were talking about during our time together is that like, for the first 10 years of our time in ministry together, because we've worked together for a long time, like we talked about like basically how much we should love God. And I think what we've discovered over the last two years is that it's way more about understanding how much God loves us. Like if you figure out, if I figure out just how much God loves us, it changes everything. The way that you read the scriptures, the way that you look at his commands, the way that you interact with others, changes. See, some of us grew up in situations where people told us that we weren't good enough or that we were a mistake or that you don't matter. That might have been your friends. That might have been your parents. And growing up, we had this idiom, like, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. It's maybe the greatest lie that anybody's ever told, right? Because words sink in deep. And so for some of us, this can be really hard to understand, and I get that. I get if somebody close to you has basically written you off, said that you were worthless. That this invisible God who says that you're worth something, that that would be hard to understand. And so maybe for some of us, the first step is stepping into a community that can actually represent Jesus to us. That as we talk about every Sunday, that we could be a family that extends the grace of Jesus to one another. That we would take pleasure in being with one another. That we would show that we prefer to be with one another. That we would long to spend time together. And as we experience this together, that we would begin to believe that the love of this Heavenly Father is true. I alluded to this earlier, but Jesus, our John goes on and he ends verse 9 and he says, he says, As the Father has loved you, has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And this word remain essentially means to stay or abide or continue. And this is like one of John's favorite words. He actually, of the 120 times that it's used in the New Testament, 69 of those times, John uses it. 40 times in the book of John, and then 26 times 
in the book of 1 John, which only has five chapters. And the book of 1 John is essentially this idea of it's, it's been called the gateway to intimacy with God. Or fellowship with God is the word that he uses. And so in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I wrote this to you so that you would have fellowship with us and fellowship with God. This word fellowship is just a Christian way to say intimacy. And then he goes in verse 4 and he says, And I proclaim this to you so that your joy may be complete. That when we remain in his love, it's essentially talking about experiencing intimacy with him, that we would have great joy. I'm going to end with this. In John chapter 15, two verses later, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, No greater love has anyone than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then verse 14, he says, And you are my friends. And don't miss that. Jesus calls you and he calls me his friend. And C.S. Lewis has this to say about friendship. He says, friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. And if I had to give a piece of advice to a young man about a place to live, I think I should say, sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. And friends, this is the statement that Jesus lived out. He calls us friends. And then he sacrificed his own life so that you and I could be near him and experience his love. And that's why we celebrate communion. It's to celebrate this sacrifice that Jesus has made so that we could experience joy and happiness in being with a God who loves us deeply. And if that's a decision that you've never made before, maybe today could be a day where you say, I'm going to respond to God. That I want to have a relationship with someone who prefers me who takes pleasure in me, who longs to be with me, the God who loves me deeply. So we're going to take communion here in just a minute. Um, we're going to only do one song at the end. So if you're a contemplative person and you like to sit there for like 20 minutes, you don't have time today. You have to come take communion. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll be done. God, I thank you so much that you love us. God, that you really do prefer to be with us, that you take pleasure in us, that you long for us. God, I wish, I, could, I believe this all the time, and yet many times I don't. 
I find my happiness and pleasures or possessions or success and come up wanting every time only to be let down and disappointed. Jesus, I pray that you would help me and anybody else in this room that needs to grasp how wide and deep and, lo- and high your love is. God, I pray that we would grasp that, that we would know your love. That we would know that there is one who longs to be with us and gave up everything to do so. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen.